Welcome to the Way Home Podcast, featuring conversations about church, community, and culture. I'm your host, Dan Darling, here in Nashville, Tennessee. And today we have a real treat. We're going to talk about our favorite Christmas carols. Uh, my favorite time of year is Christmas. I love the rich uh, hymnody and the carols of the Christmas season. And I've invited to join me Andrew Gant, who's the author of a great new book called The Carols of Christmas, a celebration of the surprising stories behind your favorite holiday songs. Andrew is a composer, a choir master, a church musician, a university teacher, and a writer. He has directed many leading choirs, including those of the Guards Chapel, uh, Selwyn College, Cambridge, Worcester College, and Oxford. He now lectures in music at St. Peter's College in Oxford and lives there with his wife and three children. We are going to talk about the origin of some of our favorite Christmas carols, like uh, a little town of Bethlehem and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Some surprising stories about how these uh, great carols originated. Before we get to our conversation with Andrew, however, do you want to tell you about the brand new, hot off the presses, December winter issue of Light Magazine? Uh, this issue focuses on the pro-life movement, not just about abortion, but how pro-life impacts all of life and how we see every human soul is created in the image of God. It's got a great cover. Karen Swallow probably does a cover story and asks, is this our pro-life moment, uh, kind of responding to the, the videos from the Center for Medical Progress. And then there's some just other great articles in there. My friend Mike Cosper talks about pop culture and how we desensitize ourselves to uh, dehumanizing rhetoric about the unborn and about taking human life uh, in other forms. And so you, you really want to get your hands on this. It's, it's got some great articles, some equipping articles from leading preachers on how to speak about this and how to be a pro-life champion in your community. So I encourage you to get this. If you go to my website, danieldarling.com, on the podcast page, we will have a link to Light Magazine where you can either go download a copy of this on your tablet or your computer and view it there for free, or you can have it delivered to your house, uh, two issues a year for $10. But go to my website, danieldarling.com, and get information about that. But for now, let's join Andrew Gant and talk about the history of some of our favorite Christmas carols. Andrew Gant, thank you for joining me here today on the Way Home Podcast. Great to have you. When I saw this book come from the publisher, I was so excited because Christmas, uh, I know it sounds like a cliche, but Christmas is maybe my favorite time of the year. And one of the reasons is just the beautiful richness of Christmas carols and Christmas hymns. And so uh, I was grateful to see your book kind of take... uh, a look at each of these just favorite carols. So I, I guess my first question is, is this something that you've been kind of thinking about and working on and for a long time, kind of a project you've, you've wanted to, to do? Yes, I think it is. I think in a sense, it's the kind of project that you find you've been working on all your life without <laughs> really knowing it. <laughs> you know, I've been singing these songs since I was a small child, mm. like so many people, and they've been part of my life and my family's life, and of course we all get to know and love them. Mm. So um, when the publisher asked me to investigate the stories behind them, mm. it was really just a, a continuation of a, a lifelong fascination. Mm. And I certainly uncovered some 
interesting stories. So you, you've had a variety of roles. You've led choirs. I mean, you're not leading a choir right now, but you've led right. uh, many different choirs. You're a composer, a choir master, church musician. Yes. Now you teach one of the schools at Oxford yes. University, teach music. What is it about the the Christmas carols that is so enduring? You, th- you see every generation really comes to embrace them. You know, music styles change, preferences change, societies change, become more secularized or less secularized, and yet these carols still endure. Why is that? Yeah. Well, there's a universality about them. They they speak to something simple, but also something that has a universal appeal. And I think that that also is not necessarily limited just to the to the um, Christian community, if you like, although that's, mm-hmm. that's largely where they belong. But many of these tunes didn't begin life in church, that's for sure. Many of them are mm. folk carols, which would have been sung outside, and a lot of the tunes didn't have those words to them, or indeed didn't have words at all. So there is a richness of the inherited tradition there. It's a tradition that will take a good tune from pretty much anywhere, and that's part of what it's about. But I think also the the symbolism and the, the, the message behind the words carries a universal appeal. Parts of this story are very ordinary. It's about mm-hmm. shepherds looking after sheep in fields. It's about, um, um, you know, people giving gifts. It's about a family. Mm-hmm. And I think that appeals to people and always has done and always will. And one of the things I noticed and I loved about the way that you arranged this book is um, not just sort of going through the carols and sharing sort of background information about them, but the order in which you did it of kind of following sort of Advent season and and the church calendar. Why was that? Well, for exactly that reason, um, we were looking at which carols to include and then talking about how to put them into an order, and it seemed a logical way to do it. It's one of the interesting things about our Christmas tradition is that uh, we tend to lump these tunes together as Christmas carols, Mm. but of course they cover a wide season, certainly as far as the liturgy is concerned, from Advent, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, through to Christmas Mm. Eve, a little town of Bethlehem, and then of course right the way through the stories of the shepherds and the wise men, and all the way through to Twelfth Night. So Mm. it's actually, it's a journey, it's a progression, and that just seemed a logical way to approach the ordering of of the songs. You teach music. Are you finding that new generations of students, musicians, are as equally as um, intrigued and uh, by the Christmas carols as previous generations? Yes, I think they are. That's an interesting question, that. it's a tradition that has evolved, that's for sure, and still is. I think we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking that it's always been exactly like it is now and evermore shall be so, because it, mm-hmm. it, it won't. It will continue to change. And it has always reflected changes in society and changes in culture and changes in education and performance and all kinds of things. And, and it will continue to do so, so that our tradition has always included songs from all over Europe, from Scandinavia, Finland and Sweden, and plenty from America. So. Why should it not also include songs that come from further afield? We have songs from Russia and Lithuania and uh, the Baltic countries. Um, so why not Japan and India and uh, Africa? I think you know there are there are some Caribbean songs that regularly get sung by English choirs. Mm. Um, but 
those changes bring positives, but they also bring uh, changes of another kind as well. So, for example, would it be acceptable for a school now to be teaching children Christian hymns when increasingly large numbers of the children don't come from a Christian background? Mm. It's a, it's an interesting question. I want to talk specifically about some of my favorite Christmas mm-hmm. carols, and so one of my favorites is uh, "O Little Town of Bethlehem." Yeah, and uh, I know a little bit about how the story was created, but I'd love for you to just kind of share just a, sh- a little bit about how f- the the author Phillips Brooks sort of what inspired him to write this, yes. this beautiful carol. It's a great story. Phillips Brooks was an American clergyman who uh, became Bishop of Boston, Massachusetts, which was his home city. Uh, but before he became Bishop there, he was a minister in Philadelphia and delivered the funeral oration for Abraham Lincoln after his assassination. Mm. Um, shortly after the American Civil War, Brooks took a pilgrimage to the Holy Land And he describes in his diary coming over the brow of a hill on a visit to Bethlehem and seeing the shrine where Jesus was born and a choir was singing and it was a a peaceful, calm, starlit night. And he was so moved by this peaceful scene after the horrors and the bloodshed at home that when he returned to America, he wrote a hymn, well, he wrote a poem about it. He was a very accomplished poet. Brooks. There's a lot of wonderful uh, hymns by him, far more than just the one that we sing today. Um, and he described the scene in this poem and gave it to his own church organist, a man by the name of Lewis Redner, who was actually a real estate salesman during the week. Uh, and uh, Redner composed a tune, and it was sung on Christmas Day that that year by the church choir in in the church where Brooks was the minister. And that is the tune that is sung today in the United States. Now, it's interesting to me to find out that there's actually a number of carols that are sung on both sides of the Atlantic, but to different tunes. Mm. And the tune that we sing in the UK is a quite different one. Ralph Vaughan Williams, famous English composer, was given the job of music editor of the English hymnal at the beginning of the 20th century. And he wanted to include this poem but he either didn't know or possibly didn't like the tune that Redner had written, Mm. so he had to find another one. And the one that he came up with was an English folk song, which he had heard sung to him by an old man in a pub in a village called Forest Green in Surrey Mm. to the south of London, to completely different words. They are the words about a ploughboy who mistreats his oxen so hard, driving them through frozen ground, that the poor animals collapse under this treatment. And uh, the ploughboy is then carried off to hell by a genie in a puff of blue smoke. And this was the song that Vaughan Williams heard sung to this tune. So he had some words, he had a tune, he didn't want to use the words about the ploughboy, and he didn't want to use the tune that went with Brooks's uh, lyric. So he simply joined the words he did want to the tune that he did want. And that's how we have the carol that we know today. Mm-hmm. One of my other favorite carols is... Um... Oh, come all ye faithful. Mm-hmm. And that that's an interesting kind of story, how that one was written as well, right? It certainly is, yes. And this one has its background in, well, in the Catholic Church, and in mm. particular in anti-Catholic sentiment in England. Uh, there have been waves of anti-Catholicism through history in, in our country. Uh, this particular um, 
outbreak was associated with the rebellion by Bonnie Prince Charlie in the 1740s and the attempt to restore the Catholic Stuart monarchy um, over the Hanoverian Protestant monarchy. Mm. And a, a young man by the name of John Francis Wade, who was an English Catholic, found himself having to flee the country and ended up in France, where he became the scribe and musical copyist to um, a group of monks in a, in a, in a monastery. And it was him who wrote this hymn down, first of all. But it's not quite as we know it today, as so many of these things are. For a start, it has um, three beats for mm. the measure instead of four. Um, that came later. And, of course, it was in Latin, mm. Ad Fideles, which was later, of course, translated. So he wrote it down, and he kind of sent copies all around Europe, and a few found their way back to England, and it was sung, and somebody heard it and liked it and copied it out and translated it into English and changed it into four four time. And so it goes on. <laughs> well, that that's uh, w- one of my favorite songs. And, of course, I could ask you about all these Christmas carols, but um, I want to ask about a few more. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about Oh Holy Night? This this yeah. is one that, you know, it's just a beautiful, majestic Carol yeah. uh, hymn has so much theology in it, and I always think, you know, I, I've got several different renditions of it by different yeah. artists on my iPhone, and I play, and some of them, you know, by very secular artists. Yeah, and I yeah. and I sit there when I listen to it, and I think to myself, does this artist really know what he's singing? Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe you can share a little bit about this. Yes. Well, this one also has a French connection. Indeed, it was composed in France. The words are by a poet by the name of Placide Capot, written towards the beginning of the 19th century. He lived in Provence in the south of France, um, and he was a church organist too. Um, and he wrote the words in French, of course, Minuit chrétien, c'est l'heure solennelle, midnight Christian people, it is the solemn hour. And uh, he was acquainted with a very celebrated at the time composer of opera called Adolphe Adam who gave the Parisian public these very grand, large-scale operas that they loved so much. And Adam set it to music, and it became very well-known, and it was published, and the copies went around the world, and it found its way to America, where the words were translated into English by a Unitarian minister by the name of John Sullivan Dwight. Mm. So it's interesting that you talk about the theology in that one, because the words have changed. Um, Capot, for a start changed his own verses, um, his own religious and theological views altered as he as he got older, and he actually tried to slightly tone down some of the theology in his original verse. But of course, Dwight, translating it into English, um, brought his own take on it as a Unitarian and uh, created the hymn that we know today, which is rather different in, in its approach and in its... Um, its emphasis from the original French poem. Mm. One of my favorite stories reading in here was so fascinating about Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which is, of course, a great Christmas hymn uh, by Charles Wesley, who wrote thousands of hymns, has some roots there uh, in Oxford. Mm. But what was fascinating to me was how George Whitfield both Mm. sort of popularized this, but also did a little bit of editing of Wesley. Yes, he did. (laughs) He did, and he wasn't the only one as well. Charles Wesley... The poem, as Wesley wrote it, originally started, Hark, how all the welkin rings, glory to the king of kings. 
So it's different. You know, the welkin is the, the sky, the firmament, the the, the heavens. So it's uh, it's an old-fashioned word, and mm. probably not one that a congregation would know these days. But um, yeah, Whitfield and Martin Madden and one or two other people have, have uh, changed just the odd phrase here and there to make the the poem that we sing today. And it's it's interesting because that happened a lot to the Wesleys. And they didn't like it. Both John and Charles Wesley complained when people changed their words. Mm. But there's nothing they can do about it. Well, it's it's not too much different today. I'm a writer, and sometimes we don't like when people edit our stuff, but sure. it's probably for the best. Well, <laughs> um, uh, is there a particular Christmas hymn or carol that's your favorite? I suppose that's a difficult question, but is there one that, as you're directing choirs, as you're teaching, as you're yeah. singing yourself, that, that, that you love? Yeah, well, it is a difficult question. I mean, one of the things about these carols is the sheer variety that you've got in there. They come from so many different places. You have beautiful, lyrical English folk songs. You have mysterious songs like The Holly and the Ivy and I Saw Three Ships, where the imagery is is very vivid, but rather strange if you look at it. You have ecclesiastical hymns like Hark the Herald and O Come All You Faithful. You have plain song tunes like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. You've got German chorales like In Dulce Jubilo. You've got everything there. And I think they're a bit like a family. You know, it's a bit like asking you who's your favorite member of your mm. family. They're all different and they all have their own characteristics, but you can't really say that you you like one of them better than, than another. But there is, I, I think, one that is particularly meaningful to me is actually one that I, I actually didn't um, include in the book. It came upon the midnight clear. I don't know if that one is familiar to you. Mm-hmm. you know Absolutely. Yeah. Love that one. Yes. Um, just a, a simple moving verse. It seems to me to capture the, that combination of simplicity and directness, but also saying something important and something meaningful with a, a lovely, graceful, tune, which is a folk song, which is an English folk song. And that's Mm. what carols do best. You know, one of the things that's interesting to me about our Christmas hymnody and carols uh, is just so how so much theology is packed into them. Mm. There is something really, too, about when we sing this, how it forms us, right? Yeah. There is, of course, a lot of theology in there. But I think we also need to acknowledge that there's quite a lot else as well. Mm. I mean, for example, the holly and the ivy, when they are both full grown, of all the trees that are in the wood, the holly bears the crown. There's no theology there. <laughs> That's, um, that is a fertility song. That's a song about the promise of new life in the depths of winter. And there are lots of holly and ivy songs in the English tradition, and most of them have got nothing whatever to do with mm. theology, and certainly not with Christmas. But that one has somehow found itself bolted on to the image of the promise of new life contained within the Christian story, which, of course, fits it very well. But that's not where its origins lie. Mm. Does it strike you, though, that the Christmas carols and Christmas hymnody, especially as the secular world still enjoys and sings them, that we get away with, so to speak, singing so much theology, uh, whereas maybe at other times and seasons and venues that uh, wouldn't be acceptable? Yeah, that's a very interesting point. And actually, you know, we talked earlier about um, the potential challenge to the tradition from um, an increasingly diverse 
community, mm. which is a good thing in itself. Mm. But actually, the challenges have been much greater at earlier times, certainly in the UK. I mean, in the 18th century, for example, what was actually sung by choirs and congregations in church was prescribed by law. And the answer was only what it says in the Bible and nothing else. Mm. So the idea that you could sing a poem, a devotional poem, like it came upon the midnight clear, would have been extremely shocking. It's rather odd for us to think that these days, but absolutely not. It was only the divinely inspired direct word of God from the Bible. Um, and in fact, uh, while shepherds watched their flocks by night, was the only Christmas carol that was legal in church hmm. for most of the 18th century, hmm. because it kind of just about counts as a paraphrase of the uh, the story from St. Luke. So I got a couple more questions. I cannot uh, interview you on this podcast and not talk about the elephant in the room, which is the hymn, We Three Kings of Orient are one of my favorite ones. Uh -huh. But as we we know, there probably wasn't three wise men. There might have been yep. four or six or eight. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, every year, you know, I pastored for several years. Every year, there's always somebody that will just, you know, point that out. And, yeah. Um, so can you speak to that, that sure. hymn? Sure. But I think this is all part of the richness and the wonder of this tradition. Mm. I mean, quite a lot of it is kind of accretions, you know, that have been added on. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people get upset about it, but it's a bit like what we were saying about the 18th century. You know, if you went back to the to the essentials, then an awful lot of the color and the magic and the invention and the creativity mm. would be lost. So, sure, the gospel doesn't say that there were three kings. It says there were kings bearing three gifts, so, that, so there may have been more. Um, and it's it's later writers, I mean, fairly early writers, I think, um, who turned them into three and gave them the names. But, you know, I mean, I think, well, so what? It's become part of our, mm -hmm. the way that we, the, the way that we tell the Christmas story and it provides, you know, parts for the mm -hmm. Christmas pageant and all this kind of thing. And it's it's just part of the color of it, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Last question, as you're teaching students, but also as you're, you've been a part of directing choirs and part of big productions, you know, churches at the, right around this time are doing productions of Christmas. Maybe they've already done them, or maybe they're anticipating them this month. What, what is one word you give to um, choir directors and, you know, worship leaders and, and people as they think through how to present the Christmas story this season? Enjoy the great tunes. There's such a wonderful richness there. Mm. I think perhaps just try and have a sense about where the tunes came from. You know, quite a few of these tunes have had things added to them by arrangers and this kind of thing. You know, just look at what's underneath. Mm. That's a great word. Well, thank you so much, uh, Andrew Gant, uh, composer, choir master, church musician university teacher and writer. Thank you for this gift of this book, The Carols of Christmas, a celebration of the surprising stories behind your favorite holiday songs. What a rich gift for the church and for people to, to really understand these Christmas hymns and carols. I encourage everyone to go out and order this. Uh, we'll have links on the podcast page there for you. But thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. It's been it. a great pleasure. Well, I want to thank my friend Andrew Gant for joining the podcast to talk about our favorite Christmas hymns and carols 
uh, one of my favorite discussions. I really encourage you to get his book, The Carols of Christmas, and enjoy it with your family. I also want to tell you that if you enjoyed this podcast, we have other podcasts with other authors and pastors. You can get all of those on my website, danieldarlin.com, or you can subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn or any way you get podcasts. If you enjoyed it, would you let us know by sending us an email, wayhome at erlc.com, or writing a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. But for now, thank you for listening to the Way Home Podcast. This podcast was produced and recorded by Gary Lancaster, research by David Clossom, scheduling by Marie Delph. It is a product of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.